Did you know that the cost of pop rivets went up 50 cents at Menards? Now, some of you are thinking, what's a pop rivet? Others are thinking, is 50 cents a huge price increase? But what you should be thinking is, why are you outraged? It seems that everyone today is outraged over something, so I just picked an item. And I have no idea if pop rivets are up 50 cents. I just made that up. But if you look at the news or Twitter or Facebook or the Internet, people are outraged. Two weeks ago, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader, was outraged over two of our most recently appointed Supreme Court judges on how they might rule in the future. Now thousands of people are outraged over Chuck Schumer's remarks and are calling for his resignation. Now we have the coronavirus concern. And people are outraged that people are overreacting. Then there are some that are outraged that our country is not overreacting enough. As followers of Christ, one of our concerns should be living Christ-like in an age of outrage. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come here with like-minded folks, our second home, and just enjoy their fellowship and enjoy, Lord, what you have to say to us through your word. May I be a conduit of your word this day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A question that should come to your mind is why is there so much outrage in our country today? And I'll add a corollary to that. And why so much fear? One small disagreement blows into a major event almost every day. Ed Stetzer, who holds the Billy Graham Distinguished Chair of Church Mission and Evangelism at Wheaton College, recently wrote a book in. Christians in the Age of Outrage. And now you know where I got the idea for the title of the message today. In the book, he points out several causes of outrage, but two kind of grabbed my attention. One was the cultural fork in the road, and the second one was the explosion of communication technology that we're going to look at next week. Yeah, you're stuck with me for two weeks in a row. First... The cultural fork in the road. As Yogi Berra once said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. And as believers, we have definitely done that. You pick any issue and you will find Christians on both sides of the issue. Add to that people who are not Christ followers and you are all over the map concerning cultural ideas and political ideas. On top of that, add the fear factor, and you have a country that seems to be coming apart. Our country used to be based on a Judeo-Christian ethic. That doesn't mean that everyone was a follower of the Old or New Testaments. It simply meant that people, as a general rule, accepted the Bible as the basis for truth and justice in our culture. Much of that has now been ignored and in some cases, biblical lifestyles and thoughts are even persecuted. 
So how do we, as followers of Christ, react to this situation? Do we get outraged that non-Christians are doing what non-Christians do? Acting exactly opposite of what Scripture commands. By the way, those same people have no power not to sin. And in some cases, they don't even think that what they do is sin. So how do we interact with people who who have abandoned the Judeo-Christian ethic in our country? The Apostle Peter gives us some insight in that issue. So we're going to look today at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Driving over here, something happened to my really easy to read on the screen and I think just jumbling around in my pocket all that black fell off try and correct that next week okay so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old, old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Well, what does it mean to prepare your minds for action? First of all, checking your phone, your laptop, the television, or the iPad is not preparation. It might be vegetation, okay, but it's not preparation, all right? We are to prepare our minds for action. Well, what kind of action? Well, the kind of action that will advance God's kingdom and not necessarily our own. The last part of verse 16 where God is speaking makes that abundantly clear you must be holy because i am holy we are to be christ-like not only in our actions but what we fill our minds with as well now what options do you have to fill your minds with well as a believer there are many things that are just out of bounds to begin with pornography horror movies gossip mindless godless sexual humor that is seems to be all the rage on TV. However, some people fill their minds with nonstop news or talk radio, often fueling their outrage or their fear. So what should we fill our minds with? Here's a novel idea. Let's start filling our minds with God's Word. 2 Timothy 1 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. What a contrast between outrage and fear. I have a question for you. Have you ever read the Bible cover to cover? Now, I don't want to see a show of hands. I will, as a youth pastor for 35 years, and even as a pastor of a church for seven years, I had never done that. I was constantly preparing to preach and teach the Word, I didn't have time to read the whole Bible. Are you kidding me? Leviticus? You know, that kind of thing. You know how stupid that sounds now as a pastor? 
After retiring, I had no more excuses, so I started reading the Bible cover to cover. And I was amazed how easy it was. I've done it many times now and in different ways. I've, I've read it straight through. I've read a combination of Old Testament and New Testament, and I've done it chronologically, which I'll admit I enjoyed the most. I've also changed the translation every time I read it. I used a different translation each time. And you can do that by just reading three to five chapters a day. Now, there are many ways you can encourage yourself to do this. The middle of verse 13 even says, exercise self-control. Well, that is one of the fruits of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5.22. Well, one way of exercising self-control is this. <laughs> no Bible, no breakfast. Mm. Now, I know for some of you that wouldn't be much motivation. So let's substitute the word coffee, okay? Or how about no Bible, no Facebook? Or, you know, some of you might be squirming a bit now. Or no Bible, no radio, or TV, or iPod, and a really tough one, no Bible, no email. If you take any of these approaches, it may, it may motivate you to read the Bible, but it won't be because you want to. I have discovered, though, that once I got into the habit, I couldn't wait to read the next day. Sometimes I even cheated and I read more than that day I was supposed to read, okay? More often than not, though, I had to catch up. Sometimes I was even five days behind, but it was worth it. Can you imagine? Now, I think about things like this. Can you imagine one day you're in heaven and you bump into Obadiah and he asks you, when you were on earth, did you read my book? Now, that's an embarrassment you can't overcome. The rest of the verse 13 says, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. We put our hope in a lot of things. Pottery, a political party, a president, our spouse, our job, and sometimes even toilet paper. We hope that these things will make our lives better or happier, less painful or healthier. But I have news for you. We are all terminal. Every one of us is going to die. And I don't care how young you are, we're all going to die if the Lord should tarry. We are to put all our hope in the gracious salvation that will come when Jesus is revealed to the world. What is your daily focus? Is it the latest news? The latest fashion? The latest fad? Janice and I attended the memorial service for Janice's aunt about two months ago. She was a believer. She was actually younger than my wife by a couple years. And she was a much-loved sister in the Lord. However, I also met someone in our family younger than us that I had never met before. She was fun, full of smiles, had a zest for life, and she also was given a month to live. You wouldn't know it by the way she was getting around, laughing, eating, telling great stories. She and her husband had met at Alcoholics Anonymous about 10 years ago, 
She tells that her husband has been clean the entire time, but that she tripped up once. She then went on to tell about how they both came to know Christ and how that has made the difference in their lives. Do you think that she's looking forward to that gracious salvation Jesus has promised her? You bet she is. Her only regret is that she doesn't have more time to get to know Christ in this life now that she knows what life is really all about. My prayer for Laura is that God will extend her days so that she can experience more of God's grace on this earth with her husband and children before the Lord calls her home. But she's filling her mind with good stuff and with... She and her husband recently took a cruise on a ship. Laura ran into an older woman who had just been diagnosed with cancer, and that older woman was terrified. Laura calmed her down, encouraged her, and told her about the love of Christ. And at this time, Laura had one month to live. Laura has made it two months since the time that I met her, and we started praying for Laura every day. And I would ask that if you've got an extra minute in your prayer time today, lift her up in your prayers. We haven't heard from her in, in several days now, so we're just wondering where she's at. Verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Laura is doing her best to be obedient to the Lord. In her testimony, she talks about falling back into alcoholism, her old ways. But now she's living for Christ. And like the verse says, she didn't know any better. Now she does, and she wants to live for the Lord. And I would ask you, what sin, what attitude, what addiction is taking you back to your old ways? Simply confess it. Accept Christ's forgiveness and move forward in life, Laura is. 1 John 1.9 was actually written to Christians. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only reason that we fail to move forward is we listen to that other voice that sometimes whispers in our ear, Ah, you've sinned one too many times. Ah, that sin's just too big. Ah, you're a hypocrite. And that's just Satan. God says he'll forgive. We just need to repent and move on. Verse 15 tells how we are to act in an age of outrage. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. That's pretty clear, and that's pretty hard all at the same time. Part of our problem is the four lies that Satan tells the world that push us as believers into being outraged and not Christ-like. Lie number one. Satan tells the world that Christians are the worst. That statement is not true because our accusers never hold themselves to the same or even a consistent standard. We know the statement is not true, yet we get outraged over it. Here's the problem. Our critics often are observing what I would call nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity is dangerous to those who attempt it 
because they quickly find out that trying to live out the Christian life without genuine faith is not only exhausting, it's impossible. Lie number two. My outrage is righteous anger. Hey, Jesus got angry. But our righteous anger needs to be directed towards what angers God. And what angers God is sin. God defined himself to Moses as merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. We as followers of Christ need to be careful. As a general rule, we tend to be poor stewards of our anger. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Line number three, blank will save me from the outrage. You fill in the blank. Both believers and not yet believers get caught up in this lie of Satan. We think that something or some person will solve all the problems of the world. But as believers, we know that the only solution for a sin-sick and fallen world is for people to repent of their sin and embrace Jesus as their crucified but risen Savior. Lie number four. Christian mission is optional. Remember after Jesus was crucified, what the disciples did? They huddled together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, meaning the religious leaders. And what happened? Jesus showed up. Hey, way to go, guys. You're hiding from behind locked doors. No, he didn't say that. There are a couple things he did say that we need to remember. One is, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then Jesus also gave us this mission, the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And by the way, God did not command us to be outraged and fearful. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A better the front end verse is not go. As you're going, make disciples. As you're shopping, as you're shoveling snow, <laughs> as you're one day going to be mowing the yard, as you're doing normal stuff, make disciples. Well, how do you do that? Well, anybody that you bump into friend, neighbor, family, whatever. You make disciples. If they're not a believer, well, you need to aim them in that direction so they can become a believer and become a disciple. If they are disciples, you want to encourage them in their walk. As you're going, make disciples. And he gives us a mission. He also gives us among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth that grace and truth that jesus shows us should also be something that we show others many today are living in fear but as we said at the beginning god has not given us a spirit of fear 
If you have that fear now, know that it's not coming from God. It is coming from the evil one. God calls us to lead by example, to be full of grace and truth like Jesus. Sometimes we go through things that are new to us or something that we have never experienced before. This coronavirus epidemic is one of those. As far as illnesses are concerned, this has seen much worse. The world has too. But we've never reached to excuse me, we've never reacted to it the way we have as a nation this time. I'd like to think that what we have done is we have combined both outrage and fear. Family, your friends, your co-workers, is to demonstrate the leadership as God defines it. Acting holy as God is holy. It doesn't overreact, neither does it act frivolous, making fun of other people's fears. Carrie Newell, who is a prominent pastor in Canada, states this, As you can see in the stock, in the stock markets and crazy, irrational stockpiling of necessities that borders on absolute panic, fear, greed, and selfishness wreak havoc on our lives together, our corporate lives together. That's not leadership, that's reactionship. Your job isn't just to react to what's happening, it's to lead the people around you in light of what's happening. That means you need to check your emotions and do what's best for others, not just you. If the people around you see panic or stupid denial in your eyes, it fuels the panic in theirs. One other concept that I think we should address is that of embracing sacrifice over selfishness. Again, Pastor Newell. Perhaps the thing that disappoints me most, both in myself and in the things I see via social media, is the profound selfishness that Christians are displaying in the midst of crisis. I feel all those instincts too, and I realize they're wrong. It's easy to spot selfishness in in other people. A crisis simply reveals and amplifies what's already there. For too many of us, that's selfishness and self-righteousness. I'm not saying you shouldn't feed your family or wash your hands thoroughly and often. I'm doing both. But that can't be your only or primary response. Scripture again makes this abundantly clear. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As we live in an ever-changing culture, ignorant of biblical truth and ignoring God's claim on their lives, maybe God is giving us, we followers of Jesus, an opportunity to calm the fears of those around us and to show them a more excellent way. The way of forgiveness through the cross. However, we can't do that if we are caught up in the outrage and the fear. Remember at the beginning we talked about what we fill our minds with will determine much of our responses and actions. Paul wrote this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This may be one of the most glorious opportunities we have as Christians to share the good news with a very fearful world. Let's not get caught up in that fear. We know where we're going to spend eternity. And a lot of people don't. And they fear death. They even fear getting sick now. Even fear running out of toilet paper. Share a role. More importantly, share Jesus with them. Next week, we're going to look at the explosion of communications technology and how we can be engaged and not outraged with the world and do it with grace and with truth. For a generation that is sick of hype, let's give them some hope. Let's pray.